So the reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, the first 38 verses. <clears throat> Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Uh, good morning, everyone. I hope you're going well. Uh, my name is Matt, as uh, Kyle has said. I'm looking forward to uh, looking at the start of Luke's Gospel with you today. Uh, it'd be great to keep that passage open. We're going to be looking at Luke's Gospel, by the way, um, right through the summer. We're going to be doing sort of the Christmas story over the next few weeks, uh, and then we'll keep going through uh, the next part of it, probably until uh, at least the end of January, which I'm really excited about. Um, as we get started, though, I'm going to put something up on the screen, and I'm going to start us in a slightly different direction. Um, there's been a lot of articles like this floating around recently. Um, I don't know if, don't know if anyone uh, read this one during the week um, from the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, we need freedom from religion, not freedom of religion. Uh, this is the line that jumped out at me from the article. Uh, it's talking about chaplains in schools. It says, why have we wasted $300 million over the past half decade on the school's chaplaincy program, under which educationally untrained religious operatives sprout uneducational, unscientific, twaddle, to school children. More and more, this is the way that our society is thinking about uh, religion and Jesus, isn't it? Religion is unscientific, uneducational. Now, just by the way, I looked up the word uneducational. It's not a real word, uh, which is kind of ironic, I reckon. Religion is unscientific twaddle. I wonder if you've heard that opinion much amongst your friends, maybe around the office. I've done a lot of work with uni students over the past few years. I reckon the most common view of uh, uni students in this state is that uh, they tend to write Christianity off as sort of like a fairy story. You know, Jesus, uh, yeah, maybe he was a real person, maybe he wasn't. Uh, but he certainly wasn't anything too special. Most likely, he did a few tricks, some stories got told, and then over hundreds and hundreds of years, those stories got repeated, exaggerated, uh, sort of like a Chinese whisper effect. And we ended up with these stories that uh, are nothing like what actually happened, kind of like stories about werewolves or Jack and the Beanstalk. You must be deluded if you think that those stories could actually be true. And yet here at Trinity in the South, we believe that Jesus is real. We believe that the Bible is true, that Jesus is the Son of God. Many of us in the room today are Christians. We do believe these things. 
some of us are not. Perhaps we're here uh, investigating Jesus, trying to work out whether actually these things could be true. I think that's a great thing to do. Um, as, I, as I've said, many people uh, can just write Christianity off without uh, looking at the evidence and giving Christianity a fair hearing. Uh, but the question I want all of us to ask today is, can we be certain of these things? Can we look at the stories of Jesus and have confidence that they are true? How can we have any certainty about Jesus in a world that thinks Christianity is just unscientific twaddle? I think the answer to that question can be found in Luke's Gospel. If we want to have confidence in a world of scepticism, we need Luke's Gospel. I think it's very appropriate that we study the book of Luke this summer. Uh, So why do we need Luke's Gospel? Uh, I I say we need Luke's Gospel. Why do I think that? What is it about Luke's Gospel that uh, can give us confidence in the message of Jesus? Uh, Let's look together at the first four verses of Luke. And I want us to uh, notice particularly Luke's goal as he's writing and his method as he puts together the book. His goal and his method. Uh, Let's read from verse 1. Many of us have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke's writing to this bloke Theophilus, and what is his goal? His goal is that Theophilus will know the certainty of the things he'd been taught. Luke doesn't want Theophilus to believe uh, in Jesus in some kind of unscientific way. Luke wants Theophilus to have certainty. I know you might ask, who is Theophilus? We don't uh, really know who Theophilus was. Luke calls him most excellent Theophilus. Uh, which probably means he was rich or important. I think the most likely scenario, actually, is that Theophilus is Luke's financial backer. Uh, It was quite normal at this time for wealthy people to fund works like writings and things like that. And it'd be quite normal as well for the person who'd done the writing to address the finished product back to the person who'd commissioned it in the first place, like Luke has done. Uh, What else do we know about Theophilus? We know that he's already a Christian. Luke says, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have already been taught. So Theophilus has heard about Jesus, but what he wanted was certainty. Theophilus is asking that same question that we could ask today. How can we have certainty about Jesus? So Theophilus hires Luke. He tells Luke to go. He tells Luke to go and investigate everything and report back. And that brings us to Luke's method. What what does it say? Luke has carefully investigated everything. He used the accounts that were already around. He went to the eyewitnesses. And if you think about it, that method makes a lot of sense. Uh, The book of Luke, it was probably written about 30 years after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. So most of the people who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus, are still alive. But on the other hand, they're also getting older. So soon the people who saw Jesus with their own eyes are going to die and their stories are going to be lost. It's kind of like um, 
I've been on, uh, on holidays from Bible college the last couple of weeks, so I've had a bit of free time. I've been doing some research on what's the best World War II documentary to watch, uh, just a bit random, but uh, the consensus seems to be that uh, the best World War II documentary is this series called The World at War. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but it was done in the UK back in the 70s. And the reason that everyone says it's so good, the reason the documentary is so good is that the producers went around and they interviewed the eyewitnesses. It's full of actual eyewitness interviews from the actual people who fought in the war. And you couldn't do a documentary like that now, could you? Most of the people who fought in World War II have now died. I can imagine it's kind of the same here. Luke, you know, imagine him talking with Theophilus, and they realise that they're in this unique historical window. They realise this is our chance to record the stories of the eyewitnesses of Jesus while they're still alive. I can imagine Theophilus saying, yep, Luke, you go, I'll provide the money you need, investigate everything, interview everyone you can. We need to be certain about what happens. We need to record these things. Let's get out and do this. So I think we should be very thankful for Luke. We should be very thankful for Theophilus. Because of them, we have the book of Luke, as well as the book of Acts, by the way. And adding those together, Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else And because of Luke's investigations, we know so many things that we wouldn't otherwise know. Of course, you might know there are four Gospels about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all have different details and tell things from a slightly different perspective. Uh, But here's some of the things that we wouldn't have if we didn't have the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Because if Luke hadn't done his investigations, we wouldn't have the story of the Good Samaritan. You might know that one. If we didn't have Luke's investigations, we wouldn't know anything about Mary and Martha. If we didn't, know, didn't have Luke's investigations, we wouldn't have the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, we wouldn't have the story uh, on the road to Emmaus. Uh, this might come as a shock. If we didn't have Luke's uh, investigations, we might not actually celebrate Christmas. Uh, of the four Gospels, only Matthew and Luke include really anything about Christmas, and Matthew only has kind of a few scarce details. There's nothing about the angel appearing to Mary, there's nothing about Jesus being born in a manger, uh, there's nothing about the shepherds. Maybe as we open our Christmas presents this year, we ought to spare a thought for Luke, who investigated everything, and for Theophilus, who provided the money so that Luke could do so. I know one thing I hope that's fairly obvious from all this is that this is a pretty scientific approach, isn't it? At the start, I was saying that uh, a lot of people today think of Christianity as something like fairy tales. That's that's just not the truth, is it? As we get closer to Christmas, I tend to find that the topic of Jesus comes up a little bit more in conversation. Uh, You know, maybe maybe next time you're chatting to someone at the office and Christianity comes up, uh, perhaps they would say something like, you know, I don't think there's any evidence for Christianity. Uh, maybe in that situation, the book of Luke is a good place to go. Uh, did you know that someone who was around a few years after Jesus went and investigated it all? Do you know he went and interviewed the eyewitnesses and he wrote it all down in a book that says we can be certain about what happens? Maybe we should read it together. Let's keep going. Luke... He tells us two stories to begin with, two Christmas miracles, I've called them, in your outline. Uh, We've already seen them uh, acted out in the kids' talk, and we've been talking about having certainty. Looking at these two stories together, I think, gives us an example 
of what it means to have certainty in God's word. Uh, So there's two miracles. Uh, Firstly, we have two announcements. So the angel Gabriel comes twice, makes two announcements, first to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then uh, starting in verse 26, the announcement to Mary. As Mike pointed out earlier in the kids' talk, uh, there, I think there's some obvious parallels between the two stories and announcements, uh, but there's also some obvious differences. So, uh, for example, in both stories, uh, a parallel is that the angel comes to announce an unlikely birth of a baby. With Zachariah and Elizabeth, uh, why is the baby unlikely? Well, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth are both old or well advanced in years. Uh, Mary, on the other hand, she's not old, she's very young. But the baby is just as unlikely. Well, the baby's, you've got to say, even more unlikely because Mary is a virgin. Now, in the case of Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're, uh, they're somewhat important. They're both from priestly families. Uh, we see that Zachariah is given this duty of going into the Holy of Holies, what was the centre of the Jewish temple. And he's going in to pray and to burn incense. Um, it actually would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zachariah. Uh, Let's just read a bit of this. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 11, uh, if you've still got your Bibles open. Uh, It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And I should stop here and just quickly point out Luke's detail. We've said that Luke investigated everything. Uh, He says the right-hand side of the altar of incense. That makes me think, I wonder, did Luke track down Zechariah in his old age and ask about the angel? You know, where was the angel standing? Ah, the right side of the altar. Let me jot that down in my book. So the angel was standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. So Zechariah was praying. Uh, it doesn't actually say what Zechariah was praying for. Uh, maybe when, when he went into the Holy of Holies, uh, he slipped in a little personal prayer. Oh, God, while I'm here, could, could me and my wife have a baby, please? That would be great. But actually, given that he's kind of totally surprised when God actually answers that prayer, I suspect that maybe isn't what he was praying for. I actually think probably what Zechariah was praying for uh, was what the priest was meant to be praying for when he went into the altar. The priest, uh, when he went into the Holy of Holies, he was meant to be praying that God would save his people. He was meant to be praying that God would send the Messiah. In the Old Testament, uh, the earlier part of the Bible, God's promise to send this Messiah And actually, in the book of Malachi, which is the very last book of the Old Testament, uh, God promised that before the Messiah, he would send a messenger. And these verses that we're looking at in Luke, uh, they're a deliberate reference back to the book of Malachi. Luke is showing us that God promised something in the Old Testament, and now God is delivering on that promise. Again, we see that we can have confidence in God's word. It's a similar story in the angel's announcement to Mary. Uh, Let's look at verse 28 together. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I have to point out Luke's detail again. Do you know that Luke's the only gospel that has these little sentences uh, about what someone was feeling or what they were thinking at the time? Uh, You can imagine maybe that Luke managed to track down Mary in her old age and asked her about the angel. You know, what was the angel like? What what were you feeling at the time? I was greatly troubled. Fair enough. 
Again, we see that the announcement to Mary is rooted in the Old Testament. Look at what the angel says in verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And in the Old Testament, in a book called 2 Samuel, God has promised that David uh, would have a son that would have an everlasting kingdom. Again, God is true to his word. So we're seeing that we can have confidence in God's word. We're seeing that Luke's words are reliable. He's done the research. He's got the detail. He thinks we can have certainty in Jesus. And we're seeing that God's word is reliable. God has made promises in the Old Testament hundreds of years earlier. And here we are seeing those words come to pass. Now let's look, about, look at how uh, Mary and Zechariah both respond. They respond with questions, uh, two questions. Uh, we saw this in the kids' talk again. Uh, and the questions are similar, but again, there's a key difference. Let's, let's look at the question that Zechariah asked first in uh, verse 18. Zechariah says, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah's an old man. He and Elizabeth probably have prayed for children for years and years and years, but I get the sense that they've given up hope. He's a good man, a godly man, but here Zechariah doubts. He's not sure if God's word is reliable. Of course, all of us, I think, suffer from doubts from time to time, um, especially after going through difficult long-term struggles like, uh, like Zechariah, that pain of an unmet desire to have children. I'm sure there are some of us in the room today that are struggling uh, at the moment in different ways. Uh, maybe even for some of us here, um, this is the struggle, that, that pain of wanting to have children and not being able to, uh, for whatever reason. And during struggles, it's, it's hard to have confidence in God's Word. We can read things in the Bible like, like maybe Romans 8, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, and we can doubt. Is that really true? Is God really working for my good? If God was really working for my good, then, then why is this so hard? God's word also says in 1 Peter, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Does, does he really care for me? When things are hard, it's helpful, I think, to remember that we can have confidence in God's Word. Uh, now, I don't think the point of Zachariah's story is to make us feel guilty if we have doubts uh, or to make us feel like we're not allowed to ask questions. Um, but I think that the truth is that Zachariah, he should have believed God's Word. He should know that God's Word is certain. And I think the angel kind of says, well, Zachariah, just be quiet for nine months, Zechariah. You'll see. You'll see that God's word can be trusted. So Zechariah goes home. I was going to say he says hello to Elizabeth, but he can't say hello to Elizabeth, can he? Elizabeth, actually, she can't be too unhappy. She's still happy to sleep with her quiet husband. She says in verse 25, The Lord has done this for me. He has taken away my disgrace. God, you have been good. You've finally given me a baby after all these years. 
As an added bonus, you've shut up my husband too. <laughs> probably, probably not. Mary asks a similar question in verse 34. Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That's interesting. Zachariah's question is sort of seen as a negative, but uh, Mary's not at all. But I guess they are slightly different questions, aren't they? Uh, Zachariah's asking, how can I be sure of this? And Mary's maybe is more like, well, how's this going to happen? Virgins don't tend to get pregnant, right? Uh, part of that I wonder as well is, uh, maybe, maybe it's true that Zachariah should have known better, because on one hand we've got this priest who's probably in his 60s, an old man who's been serving God his whole life. On the other hand, Mary, Mary would have been a very young girl. Most uh, people think she would have been only 12 to 14 years old, um, the age of one of the girls in our youth group. Uh, look at how the angel responds to Mary in verse 35. Uh, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. God's word is certain. And I love how Mary responds in verse 38 at the end. Uh, you might, you might know that uh, in history and even at the moment, different kind of branches of the church, particularly the Catholic and the Orthodox uh, branches of the church, have this very high view of Mary. They uh, talk about Mary as being maybe sinless. Um, they'll say things like, uh, Mary wasn't just a virgin when Jesus was born, but she was a virgin for her whole life. Um, and both of those things were just, are just totally unbiblical. Um, But we can almost react and go too far the other way because it's right, I think, to say that Mary is very godly. Look at at how she responds. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Think about what Mary's just been told, right? She probably knows that having a baby might mean that Joseph doesn't want to marry her, that her wedding will have to be called off. Uh, We had a wedding here yesterday. We've got uh, weddings over the past two weeks. Uh, I wonder how Tom down there would feel if he, his wedding uh, got called off. You probably, uh, she, Mary probably knows that having a baby will make people in her hometown gossip. I imagine what they would say. You know, Mary, she must have been sleeping around. They'll, they'd probably call her a whore. Oh, no, it's okay, guys. I'm a virgin. Immaculate conception. Sure, Mary. Plenty of pregnant virgins around. So Mary's marriage was at stake. Her reputation was at stake. And think of the responsibility she was being given. She was being tasked with raising the Son of God. And at something like 12 years old, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Uh, Thinking of someone uh, Mary's age, it uh, makes me think straight away of uh, the youth group we have at Inner South, which... Uh, I help lead. Uh, We've got some godly young girls in our youth group. Uh, I've got some boys too. (laughs) The world today is telling our teenagers that we don't expect them to take any responsibility. We expect them to go off the rails. Uh, We'll be looking at the Christmas story tonight in youth group and I hope our youth group members can look at the example of Mary, who's about their age, 
And look at how godly she is in such a difficult situation. Mary's an example of what it looks like to show confidence in God's certain word. Uh, The angel says, no word from God will ever fail. And Mary says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Well, I hope we've been able to see that God's word is reliable. God's word in the Old Testament was reliable. He delivered on his promises for a messenger and a messiah. God's word to Zechariah and Mary was reliable. And as we've seen, God's word today is reliable. In the case of Luke, Luke has done the research. He's interviewed the eyewitnesses. Christianity is not based on fairy stories, but on reliable records of what happened. Uh, for those in the room who might be here investigating Jesus, let me, let me give you a challenge. I, I'm saying, I'm claiming that Christianity is grounded in facts, history and logic. So, investigate. Look for the facts. Luke's Gospel is a great place to start, I think. Uh, at the moment, we're running a life course here at Inner South. Uh, doing the life course at some point would be a great way to start. The course is a chance to look at the evidence and to ask those tricky questions. For those of us in the room who are Christians, let me encourage you, we can have confidence in God's certain word. And we can confidently share the story of Jesus with others. Uh, As I've been saying, I, I do think that a lot of people think Christianity is based on just fairy stories. People need to know that Christianity is not unscientific. There is strong and reliable evidence, like the evidence we found in Luke's Gospel. Christmas, as I said, is coming soon. Christmas is a great opportunity for starting those conversations. Uh, so I encourage you to make the most of Christmas. Invite your friends to our Christmas services here at Inner South and be on the lookout for opportunities for conversation. How about I pray? Dear Father God, we, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we have the Bible, books like the book of Luke that are researched and reliable and which can give us certainty about Jesus. I pray for all of us here today, for those who are doing well, for those who are struggling, uh, that all of us would have confidence in your certain word. Thank you that no word from you will ever fail. May your word to us be fulfilled. Amen.